Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. All right. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Eric Van Dyne and crew that gets up. I... All right, kids, you're, uh, we have EGC today. All right, first and second grade can head with the Nevels uh, in Elevate. And then Miss Lisa, uh, se- uh, third, fourth, and fifth grade are going through the uh, New City Catechism. Um, let me just explain to you real quick what the next couple of weeks are going to look like uh, through the end of April. Uh, May is the month that we have traditionally um, worked to support church planting, Uh, and so the last two weeks of April, we're going to have two uh, churches that we've supported. Their pastors are going to be here preaching on passages that have have impacted them uh, and shaped their church. One, Eric Freeman, uh, we sent him out to do, he interned with us and still did not get it right. Um, The most important thing, he planted the refuge church in Cadillac, Michigan. (sighs) <sighs> he loves Jesus, um, but some of the applications of that we're, we're still working on. I'm, I'm totally kidding, uh, but he's uh, at the Refuge Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Uh, we've been supporting him over the last few years, and we're excited to have Eric come in next week. And then two weeks from now, Sean Boone, who is at Woke Bridge Community Church in Ferguson, uh, and he's going to come in and preach, and we are uh, starting to support him this year. Uh, Sean is a dear friend and brother. We've gone, we have known each other for man, like 10 years now, and uh, I'm excited for him to come and preach in a couple weeks, and we're going to look at, and then we'll gear up for, for our church planting offering, which will happen in May. You'll be getting a letter about that, uh, and then in May, we're actually going to get back into uh, Sermon on the Mount for a little bit, all right? So everybody up to date on the calendar? Good. Uh, one of my favorite movies, well, one of my kids' favorite movies, our, our older kids, one of their favorite movies growing up was um, Finding Nemo. And so then, of course, by proxy, uh, one of our favorite movies grow- growing up became Finding Nemo. We drove down to Texas one time, and, uh, and this was back when vans had DVD players in them. You remember those old-fashioned things before everybody had their own device to get on? And um, they watched Finding Nemo. It's a 13-hour drive. And they watched Finding Nemo all the way down and all the way back. Shortly after we got back, our, t- our van had a flat tire and I had to get the spare out. And you know what I found? You know what I found? Headphones. <laughs> so I had a nice little chat with Honda. It's things that would have been good to know 26 hours ago. All right. Anyway... Uh, Finding Nemo, if you haven't seen it, you should, and I'm going to spoil the end of it, which is totally fine. Nemo gets found, all right? Um, Nemo is is captured out of the ocean, and he's put into the fish tank, and everybody else in the fish tank came from another fish tank, right? They came from a shop except for one, except for Gil. Gil came from the ocean, Uh, and so Gil had been developing these plans over and over and over again about how to get back to the ocean. Remember this? And basically, the the plan, everybody remembers the plan, right? The plan is to, uh, if you clog up the filter, then the tank will get dirty, and then the dentist will have to take the fish out of the tank, 
put them in little plastic bags, and at that point, you roll across the table, out the window, across the street, and into the harbor. Foolproof. Foolproof. And so I think it's even after, so they make it, right? And after the credits, uh, they all go splashing down and they're celebrating that they've made it into the harbor and they're all still there in their plastic bags celebrating that they made it into the harbor and then the blowfish goes, now what? I know that's fine. Yeah. I, you, I've used that before and maybe you've all heard it before and that's why you didn't laugh. Um, all right, now I hate pity laughs. All right. Today we're going to talk about, this week we're, we're going to look at the now what. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, well, every week we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But last week specifically for Easter, um, we celebrated that. That there is hope that death is not the end. That there's life after this. And in fact, if you read uh, N.T. Wright, and then he is affirmed, I think, in Scripture, or he affirms Scripture, probably better to say it that way, uh, that it's not only life after death, it's life after life after death. That our existence, like the cartoons portray, our existence is not some eternal, like, bodiless existence floating on clouds looking down on the affairs of men in a galaxy far, far away, that actually life to come is the fullness of inhabiting a recreated creation as, as humans, like, with flesh and blood. When Jesus, when Jesus asked Thomas to inspect the holes in his body, Thomas didn't just, like, put his whole hand through him. Jesus was physically resurrected. That gives us a foretaste of, of what is to come. Um, and so the resurrection is a foretaste that it's not just some bodiless existence, or I love the good place, but I was, I was disappointed in the, in the conclusion of the good place, which was heavily Buddhist. Like, eventually you go to the great happy hour in the sky, and then after that gets boring, after billions of years or whatever, then you just become dust and go back into the universe, part of the universe. That's Buddhist, that's not biblical. Um, the resurrection points to something else. And I think too often, followers of Jesus, Christians are either, we, we either kind of generally believe or we're taught, I trust Jesus so that I can go to heaven when I die. Hopefully that's a while from now. Um, and between now and then, I don't know, I kind of try to be a good person and take a lot of people with me and get them signed up to go to heaven when we all die. And I really don't know what heaven's going to be like. I just know that I want to be on the good side. And, and then and, and one day uh, we're going to get the heck out of here before the world goes down in flames. Right? Uh, wrong. Wrong. The end of the world is not the destruction of the earth. It's not the world going down in flames. Um, rather, it's recreation. It's restoration. The heavenly city, what we read last week at the conclusion, Revelation, the heavenly city descends from heaven. God's presence is fully with his people as it was in the beginning. Uh, there's no more injustice or pain or death. Uh, we will be done with our need for the sun because God will provide all the, provide all the light and warmth that we need. And this is the hope of our one day. The hope of our one day is that one day it will be on earth fully as it is in heaven. That's the certainty. We're not waiting simply to get the heck out of here. We are laboring now for what will one day be fully. We await the return of our king. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that, that, uh, that Harrison read, Acts chapter 2 tells us what happened with the New Testament believers after the resurrection, what'd they do? Jesus rose from the grave, and, and 
What, what did they do? They were together in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. I'm, I'm, I'm give you kind of the lead up to what took place there. Uh, it was celebration of Pentecost, um, which is 50 days after uh, the Passover. It's called Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. If you were here last year, we went through those or two years ago or last year, whenever that was. Um, uh, they were together in Jerusalem for the Feast of, of, uh, of Weeks. The disciples were together. God showed up in a very unique way. This is important to know. The book of Acts is descriptive. It's not prescriptive, okay? So it describes what took place, not necessarily what should happen. And the reason I tell you that is because when the disciples were together praying together, tongues of fire, well, I don't even know what that means, like was, were over their heads. And I, my assumption is that means like little flames were over their heads. Again, not prescriptive, all right? That shouldn't happen every time we get together and pray. This was unique. And the Holy Spirit descended and came down on them, and then they leave that room, and they go out, and all of these people were gathered together, and Peter gives this sermon about the whole story of God and how Jesus really was the Messiah and how we crucified him and how he actually rose from the grave uh, and, and he is alive today. And then, genius thought here by the crowd gathered. One guy says, okay, okay, brothers, what should we do? That's a good question, right? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is what works in us to point us to Jesus. And so with that, we come up to these verses here in Psalms at the end of Acts chapter 2. They started gathering together, like most of them were already in the habit of doing. They would go to the temple every day. They would gather together every day. They were sharing meals together. They would commune together, and they would take communion together, remembering what Christ had done. They studied the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching would have been the teaching of the Old Testament all the way up and being fulfilled, and then they would bring in the teachings of Jesus. So that's what the apostles' teachings were. They were like, this is what Jesus taught us. And Jesus' most, most full, um, complete sermon was what? Anybody remember? Anybody want to take a guess? Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, which we happen to be looking at. So the apostles were telling these people to gather as they gathered together, this is what Jesus taught us. This is the application. All this stuff we've been doing, now Jesus ushers in this new kingdom, and this is how we, we live in it. They were studying the teachings of Jesus um, and how this new kingdom works and how do we live and act and be in this new kingdom. They were gathering together. They were encouraging one another. They were reporting miraculous things that were taking place. They were praying for one another, experiencing healing and deliverance. They shared meals and time together in study and enjoyment. They gave generously to all that were around them that had needs. Their possessions were no longer the most important things in their life. They made sure everyone had food and clothing and basic needs met. Their hearts were glad and generous. They were grateful. They praised God. They went to the temple day by day, rejoiced together, shared with each other. And perhaps the most miraculous thing, they had favor with all those around them. And God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, 
We have Genesis 1 and 2 that shows us the world as God created it to be. It's beautiful. It's put their, Adam and Eve are whole, and they, they, they are fellowshipping with God, and it is good, and they're known by Him, and they're obedient and joyful, and things are good. Genesis chapter 3, everything is messed up. We have five verses of the New Testament church being glorious and beautiful and perfect, and they're giving, and they're gathered together, and right before this, God adds 3,000. I mean, that's a church growth problem, um, and we have, it, it was a taste on earth of what it will be in heaven. And then from there on out, things went perfectly. Okay. Actually, from there on out, everybody started saying, you know what? I don't need the church corporate. I don't need these walls and everything. That's not my church. I like to experience God in nature, and I'm going to go out in nature, and I'm going to be with him there, and peace out. I don't need all your rules. Okay, that didn't happen either. Um, actually, what happened was uh, they elected a moderator. They had their first business meeting. They wrote Robert, Robert's Rules of Order. They elected deacons. They approved the budget. Uh, they're going to have a giving update on a building campaign. Sintiki was complaining about getting cushions on the pews. Uh, and also, by the way, when did we start singing worship choruses instead of hymns? Uh, and all right, no, I'm joking there as well. That took, I mean, actually, by the time Acts was written, that was probably already happening. Um, because the church was made up of people. And uh, here's what starts to happen. People who have been steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures, Jewish people, they are now Jesus, experiencing Jesus as the fulfillment, as the Messiah. And it's not that they're dismissing the Hebrew Scriptures. They looked at, okay, the Hebrew Scriptures are fulfilled. This is a new, this is the project we've been waiting for. This is the culmination of all these things that have been taking shape. And we're, we're now living out the fullness of the Hebrew Scriptures. And not only that, but this message of hope and forgiveness of sins and new life uh, fulfilled in the kingdom of God, being ushered in, being ushered into this world through the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and now that's not just for us. This is for everyone. And so they're trying to live this out and navigate this as the people of God, the church. And it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be complicated, and it's going to be messy. The message of hope that was for God's people is now being shared to non-Jewish people who are called Gentiles. Gentiles have different traditions, different rituals, different cultural baggage, different things that they're bringing into it. And the Jews are going to say, that's not how you do things. This is how you do things. You do things our way. You do things with this tradition and this baggage. <laughs> you need to have dietary laws and you need to have circumcision. Those were huge deals. And they're going to wrestle all this out. And then Jesus is going to appear to Paul. Paul, an incredibly well-educated, culturally savvy Jewish but Roman citizen who was a fierce Pharisee, starts off persecuting the followers of Jesus. And then Jesus appears to him and radically converts him. And then because God likes to do stuff like this, God is going to take one of the most intelligent, well-qualified people to speak to other Jewish priests and rabbis about the kingdom of God and say, guess what? 
I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I want you to go talk to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Well, okay, well then who do you have for the Jewish leaders and priests? Ha! A very non-educated, ready-fire-aim guy, Peter. I'm going to send the foolish one to talk. I'm going to put him in Jerusalem at, at Kingdom Central here. He is going to work with all of the, uh, the Jewish leaders. Right? Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and people who put their faith in Jesus, declare their allegiance to Jesus, they're trying to live out their faith with the Sermon on the Mount as their primary instruction while confessing their allegiance to Jesus above everything else. This is the foundation of every church. This is the foundation of the New Testament. This is the substance that Paul and Peter and John all address in every letter that comprises the New Testament. Stay faithful to Jesus and his teaching. Be aware of the cultural surroundings and everything that's going to tempt you. Not like demonize everything, but how do you live in the world that you're in and continue to declare your allegiance to Jesus and then, and then live that out? And this is how it goes through the New Testament. And just so you know, I'm going to give you an overview kind of of the New Testament here. This is how this plays out in general in this, it's not chronological order, but literary order. The complications, the nuances, the, all the battles that are coming up. Rome, 49 AD, Jewish followers of Jesus are causing kind of an uprise in Rome, so they're kicked out of Rome. But there's also Gentile believers in Jesus. Mark writes his gospel to these Gentile believers saying, hang in there, hold on to Jesus. This is his story so that you would know where this all comes from. And Gentile believers form their idea of church. This is how we do it, right? And then slowly but surely, Jewish followers of Jesus begin to filter back into Rome. And they're like, no, this is not how you do it. And so Paul has to write a letter. Okay, guys, listen, here's the deal. Your tradition does not save you. Everyone is being grafted into this same story now. You are all sinful. You have all fallen short of the glory of God. All right? Nobody has one up by birth order. You have to do with humility and work this out. And what does that look like? What does allegiance to Jesus look like when you have these traditions? You're like, but this is the way. Well, here's what it looks like. It looks like a living sacrifice. It looks like your lives are more about giving up these things than they are about claiming these things, your allegiance to Jesus. And then Romans 12, beautiful picture of the church. Lives dedicated to holiness, outdo one another in honoring each other, showing respect to each other, and the outside world that's showing persecution, which happened a lot in Rome early on. How do you respond to persecution? With blessing. Bless those who persecute you. And then Corinthians. Paul writes a couple of, actually probably three letters to the Corinthians, maybe four. And the church in Corinth, they also had religious background and tradition that they were dealing with, but it wasn't necessarily Jewish religion background. It was Gentile pagan religious background. And so worship gatherings probably look more like a rave than they did like a worship gathering because that's Gentile background. That's pagan worship. That's what we do. Experiential. Um, there were 
Regular visits to temple prostitutes that Paul has to address. Giving preferences to people with money and power. That they could get away with stuff, but they had the money and power, so they oversaw the church. More so than people who were holy. There were divided allegiances. Paul tells them that their allegiance, not even with Paul and Apollos, the two leaders. You don't declare your allegiance for Paul or Apollos. We are tools. God is the one that gives growth. You like Apollos? Awesome. He's well-polished. He's a good communicator. Paul, Paul brought the meat. He did not care to impress you. Great. But this is not who you give your allegiance to. You give your allegiance to Jesus. So Paul has to write a few letters, and the first one actually works. People repented. It was amazing. And he tells people in Corinth, be aware of sliding back into your cultural norms and just adding Jesus', adding Jesus name to it. Your worship of Jesus looks different. The church in Galatia, this is probably the first letter of Paul that Paul writes. Paul's going to address a letter that keeps coming up over and over and over again, or a concern that keeps coming up. As a Gentile, do I first need to become Jewish before I follow Jesus? Now we look at that and we're like, uh, who would ask that? It's actually a pretty, like, do, what, are the, what are the norms that I have to put on? And this was kind of being abused in two different ways. Some Jewish leaders would say, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to submit to the dietary laws, and you have to submit to circumcision, and you have to do these various feasts and festivals. And, and, then, and Paul was like, no, no, I know it seems like it. I know that's always been the mark, but Jesus is now the mark. But then there were also some Gentile believers that were like, you people may follow Jesus. You may claim you follow Jesus, but I... But I, I also don't eat bacon, and I have been circumcised, and look at all these rituals and laws that I follow. Therefore, I am like, I am like graduate level Christians, while all you little peons just get Jesus. Paul's like, no, 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 that's not your righteousness by how many of these laws you follow. Jesus is your righteousness. So Paul is having to address the Galatian church and working out doctrinal issues. And if you're going to be up here, this is what's important. No, 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 no. This is what's important. Jesus, and Paul's like, your allegiance is to Jesus. It's also here um, that where Paul has this, writes about this confrontation that he had with Peter. Peter was totally cool eating with Gentiles until some of the other Jewish leaders came into the room and Peter's like, oh, oh, oh. Ah, I was just, you know, making sure that they were okay. And Paul was like, Peter, your justification stinks. You would rather impress these religious leaders than actually dine with these new Gentile believers. Your justification is in Jesus. Your righteousness is in Jesus. Ephesus. Ephesus, we don't necessarily see like a huge problem in Ephesus, but we see reminders. And Paul writes to encourage the church in Ephesus how to live out the reality of this new kingdom. Ephesus was a cultural city. It was the, the temple of Artemis. Artemis, this is, I don't know how you fit all this into one goddess. Artemis was the goddess of hunting and wild game and, and chastity and childbirth. I don't know. I don't know. But apparently she had very devout followers because followers of Jesus stopped buying silver statues of Artemis, and that set off a bit of an economic uproar, and there was a riot in Ephesus. 
They weren't like out in the streets protesting or tearing things up. They just stopped buying silver. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, reminding them Jesus is our hope above all else. It's Christ's love that brings all these people together. He will one day bring all of these nations together. His love is given purely by grace through faith. So as you navigate life among the Ephesians, among the worshipers of other gods, uh, and then there was also this new Roman woman, there was gender battles going on in Ephesus, and what is the new Roman women? And Roman women took different uh, iterations at different times. There was the strong independent Roman woman that worshipped Artemis that did lots of stuff, but there was also the Roman woman who was uh, known for her quietness and her submissive. And so Paul addresses all of those things going on in Ephesus. Your allegiance is to Jesus above everything else. Letter to the Philippians. Philippi was a Roman colony, uh, and Philippi was probably, it was like a coastal town, it was probably filled with a lot of like Cush uh, government jobs. A lot of ex-military guys lived there and probably got, probably got good appointments there. It had a lot of wealth. But this is the way the church starts in Philippi. You ready for this? All right, this is how the church starts in Philippi. Lydia, who is a powerful businesswoman, probably has a summer home in Philippi, seller of purple dye. She made good money. She's a God-fearer. She hears the story of Jesus and gives herself to Jesus. In fact, some people think that the, the, that the church in Philippi probably met in her house. And then as Paul and Silas are leaving, talking with her, they encounter these uh, two guys that have a slave girl that's demon-possessed, and they want her to do de uh, divinations and tell fortunes, right? And Paul's like, what? This is ridiculous. And so Paul calls out this demon and delivers and heals this slave girl. And then she's no good. She doesn't make money anymore. She's not doing divinations and, demon and all that kind of stuff. And so the two guys that owned her are ticked at Paul and Silas, so they have them dragged off to jail. But she hears the story of Jesus and repents. Trust Jesus. So then Paul and Silas get dragged off to jail, and they have considered it pure joy to endure persecution for the sake of Jesus. And so they're sitting in jail, and they're praying, and they're singing hymns. And at midnight, God sends an earthquake and opens up the jail, and everybody else takes off running. Except Paul and Silas are just, they're hanging there, and they're still singing hymns and rejoicing. And when the, Roman, uh, when the uh, Philippian jailer comes back, check on him. This is probably blue-collar, simple, like just a hard-working dude. And he comes back to check on him. And things were a little different back then. But if you're a jailer and all of your prisoners escape, it's not good for job security. So he's like ready to take his life. And Paul and Silas are like, whoa, 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 we're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. And so this Philippian jailer gives his life to Jesus. So this is the start of the Philippian church. This rich woman, this slave girl, and this blue-collar, beer-drinking, Bud Light guy, like, Philippian jailer. And Paul is like, I rejoice. This is beautiful. This is glorious. This is joyful. All right? That said, that said, when you got those three people in a room, and they're, like, trying to live this life out together, there's going to be conflict. And it's a political hotbed. So there's going to be conflict in Philippi. 
So Paul's writing to tell them, allegiance to Jesus above everything else. Your mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is not yours in political moderation, it is yours in Christ Jesus. Yodia, Sintiki, I, I have a theory that their arguments was, were over politics. Um, so Paul calls them out. And I, I have this view of like Yodi and Sintiki coming up to Paul in heaven and being like, you had to include us in the Bible? Like we were arguing over candidates and you include us in the Bible. Thanks for that. But it, what does he say to him? He says, hey, agree in the Lord. You're going to have differences. Find your ultimate allegiance in Jesus. Agree in the Lord. That's the start of Philippi. Colossians, religious traditions, feasts, festivals, what do we do and not do? And this is probably both Jewish and pagan stuff. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of them were having this kind of legalistic, well, we do these things and we don't do these things. And Paul says, yeah, those have an appearance of wisdom. But actually, for all the show it does, it doesn't do much to stop your indulgence of the flesh. It doesn't really do for your show. Let that stuff be out here. And, and don't, that's not like the substance belongs to Jesus. Let the hope of these things belong to Jesus. Thessalonica, huge influential city, pretty diverse. Followers of Jesus are threatened for political, uh, they threaten the political structures of the day. Lots of them arrested, some of them killed. Paul writes to encourage about the second coming. Though some have fallen asleep, that's not the end. Christ's return, hang in there. Hang in there. Peter Peter's letters to the dispersed followers of Jesus and what would become modern-day, what would become the Constantinian Empire and modern-day Turkey. Again, hang in there. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face marginalization in the hands of fellow citizens. When your Roman citizens come up to you and ask why you're not participating in the Roman pagan uh, rituals, be ready to give them a reasonable response, but do it with gentleness and kindness. Don't be a jerk. Man, New Testament 101, we've failed so miserably at that. Don't be a jerk. You can give them a response, but do it with kindness. And then all the other things, like if you, if you convert and your spouse doesn't, be kind with that. If a wife converts, she could cause all kinds of, of business issues for her husband if she's out there saying, well, I'm a Christian, because the whole household is supposed to believe what the husband, what the head of the household believe. So Paul says, if you convert to Christianity, like, still be faithful to your husband. Don't make things worse for him. Husbands, if you convert to Christianity, live with your wife in an understanding way as the weaker vessel, as the culturally weaker vessel. In other words, don't force this on her. Live in a way where you exemplify what it is to follow Jesus. Be compassionate. Be a better husband. And it's not, you don't mandate to your spouse that they, that they follow you. Uh, be, be Christ-like. Be an example. All these letters are written to help followers of Jesus address theological issues, address cultural issues, personal relationships, how to live this, this new kingdom out while continuing to dwell uh, amongst the kingdoms of man. How to fight hard to keep your allegiance to Jesus when there's so many other things pining for your devotion and your worship. And 
we fight the same struggle today. Early on, this may be a shock, Christianity did not have cultural power. They didn't get to dictate laws. They did still struggle with what's the participation in governmental issues. What do we participate in? What do we need to resist? What do we just need to be good citizens? They were never given the blessing to be bad citizens, whatever, whatever nation they lived in. Uh, there was always a struggle with cultural norms, Jewish and Greek cultural values and morals. Every letter that Paul writes seems to talk about money, power, and sex and how much those play into the temptations within the church. I, listen, the, cultural, the, the, the sexual minority in the day of Jesus was fidelity. That was, the, that was the sexual minority. It's not the minority in our day. But that's what it was. So Paul had to say, stay faithful in your marriage. Christians didn't get tax-exempt status. They didn't get voting rights. Greek men had voting rights, some of them, upper class. Uh, Followers of Jesus inspired care for the poor. And, uh, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know how followers of Jesus uh, in, in, early, in the early church, how they would fully interpret Western nations and democracy uh, and the governmental care for the poor. I don't, I and if you tell me, well, I know, I would question that. One, because that was so far out of the realm of even a thought. It wasn't even a thought. So I don't know how they would interpret that. I guarantee they would have been absolutely shocked that that was actually happening. Something that radical, that the Christian influence had, had that much influence, that that was happening. And I also think they probably would not ever feel threatened uh, by that nor would they ever see that as the reason to stop caring for the poor and carrying out their duties. They may see it as wind in their sails. I don't know. They would not see it as the full answer. Maybe they would rejoice. Maybe they would say, well, this produces need on the government and not need in Jesus. I don't know, but I guarantee they wouldn't stop caring for the poor. There are numerous mentions about doctrinal issues where doctrine became more and more important than Jesus. And even in some places where they use Jesus' name to justify it. This is what we navigate. All, there's a lot of cry that says, you know, we need to be like the New Testament church. Good news and bad news. We are. We're just like them. It, Jesus, the bride of Christ, is going on a solid 2,000 years of being messed up. And we're filled with temptations to chase relevance, popular favor, hold on to our power grip. We should be able to have our voice. Dividing on secondary issues, self-validation and self-righteousness of church size, cool branding, narcissistic leadership, embracing things we should turn away from like money and power, turning away from things that we should embrace like people. The bride of Christ, we've, we have been consistent in being messed up. We've had better seasons, worse seasons. Power does not seem to do us well, culturally. And yet, 
Jesus is still washing over his bride, making her clean, and one day will present her beautiful without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. And it's hard. There's a lot of stuff to divide over. And the litmus test continues to be, where is your ultimate allegiance? So, now what? What's our call? What do we do? Here's what we do. We study the apostles' teachings. We go through the Sermon on the Mount. We let Jesus mess with us. We fight to keep our ultimate allegiance to Jesus. Let secondary things, while still, still might be important, but make sure that they are still secondary. Let them fall in their proper place. Spend time together. Encourage one another. Share meals together. Confess, give of ourselves. Be honest and vulnerable. Be willing to, to, to be hurt at times and still forgive. And then also be willing to ask for forgiveness if and when we've hurt others. Give generously to anyone that has need. Be good citizens for the good of the city. That even people who might disagree with what we believe would look and say, but man, I'm glad they're here. And that together we would fight to see and know God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And though we fall woefully short, we continue to labor because we know for certain that one day it will be so. Um, one of the reminders that we have at Refuge to practice reminding us uh, that one day uh, that one day this will be complete and full uh, is that we don't just celebrate one day of Easter. No way. We don't spend 40 days in Lent and then one day on Easter. We celebrate Easter well. We're supposed to have 50 days of Easter. 50 days of Pentecost. Um, we take at least a week. Tonight, tonight we party. We celebrate as the bride of Christ. Whatever struggles we face, in our current culture, tonight we get a foretaste. Here's what, for followers of Jesus, tonight we get a foretaste of the absolute ultimate worst case scenario. A feast. A celebration. A time together to raise our glasses, to rejoice in our coming king. Um, and, I, and, I'm, I, and I need to say this, I hate that this, we're, we're, we're pretty much at capacity at the restaurant. So, like, um, if you didn't RSVP, we're, we're, like, it's, it's full, which is glorious. But we also don't want to get the fire marshal called. I mean, unless they're in on it, unless they want to come and celebrate with us. Um, but we get this reminder to serve and love and give in the mundane. The temptation of capitalism, consumerism, accumulating personal wealth, all the answers all the things that will tempt us to turn away from, from Jesus and declare our allegiance for anything less than. We want to celebrate tonight that this world is not what we're waiting for. It's not what we're living for. Our allegiance belongs to something far greater. And this is, this is the call of the church. This is what we're called to be. Live this out, fight this out, day after day, all its messiness. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you continue to wash over your bride, addressing every spot and wrinkle, every blemish. And there are seasons where, man, she starts to look really good, and then there are seasons where maybe we begin to wonder if, if this is really happening. 
but you have been at work all throughout history in the darkest days, in every area of the world. Um, it's a glorious, beautiful picture. And one day, one day your bride will be without spot or blemish or any such, any wrinkle or any, any imperfection at all. You will present even us beautiful and holy and, and above reproach. Um, so let us labor in light of that. Let us labor toward that end. Love fiercely. Know you. Trust you. Ask for forgiveness when we mess up often. Believe that you love us when we don't feel lovable. Um, that our ultimate allegiance would, would be declared to, for you. The, the kingdom does not rise and fall based on how well we live it out. If that were the case, it had been done a long time ago. You have ushered in this kingdom. It will not fail. Our joy in the participation of it is what's at stake. So increase our joy. May our faith be strengthened. May we encourage one another to live this out as your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.